So, well, good morning. Welcome to everybody here in the house and also in your own house, uh, if you're watching online. You know, today we are beginning a new message series that we're going to do over the whole summer for July and August. And we're calling this message series simply dot, dot, dot simply this and simply that. And what we want to do is we want to look at some very important, though basic, concepts that are really, uh, they're really important for building your faith on top of, and they're almost like foundation stones. And if we don't get these right, then we will build a lopsided building. We will build a lopsided faith. It's very easy for Christians to build their faith, but for it to become lopsided, for it to become extreme in one direction and negligent in other areas of our life. And usually that's because we, there is something basic that we didn't quite grasp or that we did, but now we've forgotten about and we need to be reminded about. And also, we're calling it simply because these are not going to be deep, complicated Bible studies. This is going to be the basic, simple truth about each of these topics. And today's message, the first message, we are calling this simply Jesus. Because if we don't get Jesus right, then we're going to get everything else wrong. The Bible tells us that our faith is built on the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ, that He is the cornerstone that holds everything together. So if we get Jesus wrong in some area, if we misunderstand who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, or what Jesus now expects of us, if we don't understand that, or we have it slightly wrong, then we're going to build everything else wrong on top of it. And so, we need to make sure that we get our lives built on a strong foundation. You know, people go up, when people are in Italy on vacation, they go to Pisa. What do they go to Pisa for? There's only one thing they go to Pisa for, and that's to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Because this thing was built in such a way that the foundation is not able to support the height of the tower. And so, it is lopsided. And as Christians, we do not want to be lopsided. We do want to keep building, but we want to make sure that the foundation of our faith, which is not a philosophy, is not a doctrine, is not a denomination, is not an idea, but is a person called Jesus, that the foundation of our faith is strong and secure so that we can keep building and keep building and know that our faith won't become lopsided. Now, the reason we're using the word simply is because uh, we're basing this whole message series on a very important verse in the Bible. It's in 2 Corinthians. And here's what this verse says. Just put this up on the screen here. It says, uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And here's what he says to them. Um, he says, I promised you as a pure bride. So this is a spiritual leader talking to the congregation, and he's saying, I promised God that you would, that you would turn out good, 
okay? I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that as the serpent in his craftiness deceived Eve, that your minds and thoughts might be led away from the simplicity of a pure devotion to Christ. Don't let your minds and your thoughts be led astray from the simplicity of a pure devotion to Christ. He's saying here that, you know, there's lots of things that you could think are important in your Christian faith. There's lots of things that you could think are important in your life. There's lots of things that you might think are important in the world and need to happen in the world or need to stop happening in the world or whatever it may be. But none of these things have the place of preeminence or none of them should have the place of preeminence in your life if anything, even good things, distract you away from the simplicity of a simple faith in which you are purely devoted to Christ, your Savior and your Lord, then that distraction is similar to the serpent in his craftiness deceiving Eve. I want to, sh I want to point out the contrast here. The simplicity of Christ is contrasted with the craftiness of the serpent from, of course, the Garden of Eden story with Eve and so on. Craftiness and, and deceit, uh, but yet simplicity and, and purity. And so, these are the two things. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes people start off well in their Christian faith. They start off like this, and they're really doing well. But then, and very often, it's, it comes from a good desire of wanting to live for God, or wanting to understand God, or wanting to show the love of God to others. Sometimes we can get caught up in other things. So a, a very simple one is, sometimes Christians, as they develop a hunger for understanding Scripture and for understanding what they believe, and they will begin to wrestle with what they believe because this person will say this thing about the second coming, and this person over here will say this thing about the second coming, and this church over here baptize babies and sprinkle water in their head, but this church over here baptize believers by full immersion, and there's differences of opinion about things. And so, you come to a place in your life where you want to sort out what, what is it the Bible actually says? What is it I believe? What is my faith about? And that's a good thing. But it can become a bad thing when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes onto beliefs about Jesus. You see, you might, I, I could come down and talk to you and say, have you ever been to New Zealand? And you might say, no. Do you know anything about New Zealand? And you might be able to give me lots of facts about New Zealand. You could talk about the two major islands. You could talk about how Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit was filmed there. You could talk about the history of New Zealand. You could talk a whole lot of things about New Zealand, but you have never experienced New Zealand. 
Or even if you had experienced it, maybe you used to live there, and now you're talking about it by memory, but you no longer live there. You know, there are some Christians that know a lot about God, know a lot about Christ, know a lot about the Bible, but don't seem to really have a living relationship with God. Or, very often they can talk about their living relationship with God in the past, but things, to use that imagery during the worship, have become stagnant and stale in their life because their minds and their thoughts have been led astray from the simplicity of a pure devotion to Christ. And so sometimes it can be theology and, and Christian beliefs and all that. Sometimes <clears throat> uh, people can, can get caught up in other things and in uh, alternative spiritual explanations to things and so on. And, and, uh, and before you know it, they start believing ideas that are not even biblical. And I, you know, I've spoken to people over the years and, well, where, I don't think it says that anywhere in the Bible. Oh, well, I've gone beyond the Bible. Well, you're too far beyond for me then, brother or sister, because I, like, I came to the conclusion a long time ago, God knows a lot, Martin knows a little. Martin should shut up and listen to God. That's what I learned a long time ago, and so I'm going to put God and His Word first place in my life. Now listen, I am a learner. I'm one of these people that love, like, I watch documentaries all the time. I mean, I learn about things that are completely irrelevant to anybody's life. I just want to learn about it. And, you know, because I'm a Bible teacher and because I study Scripture, once you study Scripture, you become interested in a number of things. You become interested in history, because a lot of it took place in ancient history. And sometimes when you become interested in the history of the Bible, you just develop an interest in history generally. Or you begin studying the archaeology of the Bible, and then you just become interested in archaeology generally. Or you begin studying the religious groups that existed in the Bible, and then you just become interested in studying religious groups generally. And I'm kind of like that. I'll, I, you know, you know I, I like learning about different religions and different periods of history and different ideas. And sometimes I do come across something that is of interest. You know, I remember one time reading some stuff, some quotes from Buddha, and I thought, oh my goodness, those are really interesting because those three quotes there are so similar to things that Jesus said in the Gospels. And I compare them and I say, oh, that's interesting. But that's as far as it goes for me, folks. It's interesting. I have got no desire to become a Buddhist. I've already found the truth. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. I can have an interest in something else, but I can never let anything pull my mind and my thoughts away from the simplicity of a pure devotion to Christ. The reason I used that illustration is because I've met Christians over the years that were once full of the love of God, then they get caught up in other things, and then their spiritual life just kind of went dry. Or maybe I want to use that imagery from the vision. Maybe they're still full of something, but it's like stagnant, and it's stale. And, um, and then they read the, that thing that I read, and they think, oh, well, maybe Buddha's, maybe Buddha's just as good as Jesus. Maybe you're minds and thoughts 
have been led away from the simplicity of a pure devotion to Christ. So, some, with, with other people, it's, it, it's politics or something. You know, we all have political viewpoints. We all have thoughts about things. We all have interests in life. It's good to be well-read. It's good to have wide interests, but it's not good to let anything supersede the importance of a simple and pure faith in Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about at the end of the day. And so, if that's what we've to be like then, if that's what we've to do, we need to ask some questions. We need to ask, who is Jesus then? Who is Jesus? What has Jesus done? And what does Jesus expect of us? So, let's start with the first question. First of all, who is Jesus? Because you could poll lots of people, and you could find out all kinds of of ideas that people have about Jesus. But what the Bible says is that Jesus is the Savior. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Jesus is the Savior. He's not a guru. He's not a religious teacher. He's not a nice guy. He's not a social justice warrior. You know, what we needed was a Savior. We are lost. Humanity is lost in our sinfulness, our selfishness, our rebellion, and our spiritual darkness. We didn't need someone to give us a few good ideas or a new philosophy. We needed a Savior to come and save us from our sins. And that is who Jesus is. And the reason He can be the Savior is because He is the Son of God. He is the visible manifestation, the visible representation of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, have a look at His image, which is Jesus Christ. You know, when you think all over the world at the time of Jesus, there were people trying to work out what God was like and, you know, trying to worship God. And, and, and they didn't know what God was like, so they would, they would carve idols, different idols, and they would say, this is an image of God, and that's an image of God. And most of the time, the idols were pretty scary-looking things, you know, big teeth and God with a big lightning bolt ready to smite you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then God says, none of these images represent me. You want to see the real image of God? Here's the real image of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And He is the light of the world. For anyone who has lost their way in life, who is walking in the darkness, there's only one light to follow, and that is the light of Jesus. Let's just have a look at a couple of passages of Scripture. First of all, in Matthew's Gospel, it says this, Matthew chapter 1, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus, which in, in Hebrew is Yeshua, or an Aramaic, Ishwa, which means 
Yah saves, or God saves, you shall give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Savior. You know, the problem that we have is sin, and the cure is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at the next verse, John's Gospel, chapter 1, because that passage showed us on earth, you know, Joseph's on earth, and an angel comes to him and tells him that this baby is going to be born, who's Jesus. Uh, oh, actually, I skipped a bit. Can you go back one? I'm sorry, I did skip one. Yes, the second half of Matthew. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Okay, John chapter 1. Here's what John says about Jesus. It says this, in the beginning, the Word already existed. Now, the word, word, in Greek, because this is translated from Greek, is the Greek word logos, from which we get our word logic or logical. And it, what it means is, it doesn't just mean a word, it means the word. It means the message. It means the meaning and purpose behind everything. The meaning and purpose of all life, the universe and everything, what existed in the beginning. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. So it's saying, in the beginning there is God, and there is God's meaning and purpose that is, that is going to lie behind everything, which is with God and which is God. And this Re this manifestation of God, this personification of God is who created all things and the life force that gives life to every living thing from you to the butterfly that's flying about outside. He gives life to everything that was created and this life brought light to everyone. The light, because he is the light of the world, shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let's read on. It says, he came, the word, the, the uh, personification of God, he came into the world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He even came to his own people that he had chosen to receive him. But they, did, they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him. Hey, if you've believed in Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, can you shout amen in the house? To all who just said amen, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but with a birth that comes from God. Let's read on. 
Next part. So the Word became human and made his home amongst us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You want to know who Jesus is? Jesus is the Savior who saves us from our sins. Jesus is the Son of God, the visible representation and personification of the invisible God who is a loving Father. And Jesus is the light of the world. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus is who he said he would be? So that's our next question. Well, first of all, his fulfillment of prophecy. Do you know that in the Old Testament for hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came, God inspired prophets who gave a message that there was a coming Savior there was a coming Messiah, and who this Messiah would be, what he would be like, and what he would do. And for hundreds of years, these prophets prophesied. And only one person in human history has fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies, and that was Jesus himself. You know, I once heard a mathematician uh, say that he examined all of the, the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold a coming Savior. And he looked at them all and he calculated what the odds would be of one person by accident, by chance, fulfilling all of these messianic prophecies. And of course, it was some ridiculous number. I can't remember it. But this is how, but he, then he said this, and I remember this. He said, if you can't imagine what that number's like, imagine this. Imagine you got a big dumpster, a full-size dumpster, and you filled it with white marbles, little white marbles. And then you got one black marble, and you put it in there and mixed it around. Then you blindfolded someone and got them to walk up and stick their hand in the dumpster and pull one marble out. If they pulled the black marble out, that's the chances of Jesus not being the Messiah. That's the chances of someone fulfilling all of that by chance. He fulfilled the prophecies. And not only did he fulfill the prophecies, but he then delivered prophecies which were fulfilled themselves. It would take us a week to go through all of this and we don't have time. But he also predicted things that would happen and they happened where he said they would happen, when he said they would happen, and exactly as he said they would happen. And so if he was right about that, we can trust him about other things. But the most important thing that lets us know that Jesus is who he said he is and who the scriptures claim he is, is his resurrection from the dead. Let's look at this next passage of scripture. Acts 17, God overlooked people's ignorance in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. And he has proved to everyone who this man is by raising him from the dead. And this isn't just one person's word we've got to go on. Let's read on. Next, next passage, please. 1 Corinthians 15 
Paul writes, I passed on to you what was most important. Remember, we're talking about priorities. There are lots of things that are important, but a simple childlike faith in Christ, a pure devotion to Jesus Christ, is of most importance. And he says here, I passed on to you what was most important and which had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said He would. He was buried, and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures predicted. And He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. Let's read on. Uh, next slide. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 people at the one time. And when Paul's writing this letter, and he, he says to them, go and ask them. I mean, most of them are still alive at the time I'm writing this letter. 500 of his followers at the same time, most of whom were still alive. And people could say, is Paul telling the truth? I'm going to go and check it out although some have since died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Jesus rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead, vindicating that he is who he claimed to be, and that his message is trustworthy and reliable. Okay, what did he accomplish? He's the Savior and the Son of God who came and died and rose again, what did he accomplish? Well, first of all, through his teaching, through his parables, through the way he related to people, through his healing ministry and forgiving sinners, Jesus revealed what God is really like. That God isn't an old man who woke up on the wrong side of the bed and is in a bad mood with you today. He is your beloved Papa, your loving Heavenly Father who longs to forgive you, who longs to heal you, who longs to guide you, who longs for you to be His child. And most importantly, Jesus took our sins away to open the way back to the Father so that we could come into relationship with Him again. Let's see what the Scriptures say here. Romans 5 says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, but God showed His great love for us in this, by sending Christ to die for our sins while we were still sinners. Let's look at the next slide. Let's read on. It says, and since we have now been made right with God in God's sight by the blood of Christ that He shed when He died on the cross, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son, while we were still God's enemies rebelling against Him, we will certainly be saved through 
the life of His Son. What did Jesus do for us? Well, He saved us. He changed us. Like, He's accomplished it. So, what does Jesus ask of us? If He's the Savior, if He's the Son of God, if He revealed what God is like, if He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, so the door is open for us to return to the Father, and if He welcomes us now to come in through faith in Him into a relationship, a friendship with God, where He is our Father and we are His children, what is He asking of us? Well, first of all, He asks us to believe in Him, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. You know, somebody once came to Jesus and said, what must I do to do the will of God? And Jesus says, the will of God is to believe in the one He sent believe in Him. And don't just believe in Him, but follow Him. Remember, Jesus didn't just walk past people and say, hey, believe in me, and then walk on. He walked up to people and He said, come and follow me. Come and be my follower. Believe in me, and you'll be forgiven. And then follow me, and I'll show you what your life really should be like. So believe in Him, become a believer. Follow Him, become a follower of Christ. And all of that could be put this way, Build your life on Him. Here is what Jesus said about building our lives on Him. Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. I'm hearing the message of the gospel and I'm putting it into practice by believing it. I'm hearing the the message that, that God wants me to live in his kingdom and to become a follower of Jesus and I'm putting it into practice by actually following him, okay? Put it into practice. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a, a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams arose. The coronavirus broke out and problems came because we live in the same world as everybody else. Jesus didn't say if you become a Christian, you won't have problems. He says you'll have the same problems as everyone else. You'll you'll have the same storms, the same floods, the same rain as everyone else, but your life will be built on a solid rock. Look, he says the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall for its foundation was on a rock. And then he goes on and he says this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, just discards them, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Church, can I encourage you to not only put your faith in Jesus, but become a follower of Jesus? 
Don't become a follower of anybody else. They might lead you off a cliff, but become a follower of Jesus. Don't even become a follower of a preacher or a pastor. Don't become a follower of me. Our job is to encourage you to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, and to, to not let anything pull your mind and thoughts away from a pure and simple devotion to Christ. You know, I want us to pray today. We're going to say a prayer together, and if you're watching this at home, I want you to say this prayer with us as well. And if you're someone who has never actually given your life to Christ, you've never believed on Him, you've never received Him as your Savior, you've never made the decision to become a follower of Jesus, as we pray this prayer, you can be taking this step, because this prayer is a prayer of commitment to Christ and Christ alone. Now, if you are a Christian, and I would guess that most people here and most people watching online are already believers of Jesus, I'm sure you're doing your best to be a follower of Jesus. But today we're going to make a fresh commitment. We are going to make sure our priorities are in order, that we are building our lives on Him, building on the rock, and we're not letting anything distract us. So let's stand together, church. Come on. If you're watching at home, just stand. Get out your bed and stand where you are. For goodness sake, get that sleep out your eyes. The Holy Spirit's about to strike you in your bedroom and change your life. So come on, let's get our hearts open, our minds open. Let's put this prayer up on the screen. We're going to pray it here together. We're going to pray at home together. I want to encourage you to get engaged with this prayer. Open your hands, raise your hands, speak it out loud, whatever helps you connect with God. Are we ready, church? Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Lord God, please forgive me for all the things I have done wrong. I turn to you and turn away from sin. Jesus, please be the center of my life. I welcome you personally as Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me and empower me to live as a child of God. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, church, give them a praise.